The Sacred Changemakers podcast is supported by Coaches Business School, helping the world's most caring coaches build a purpose-driven and profitable business that makes a meaningful impact in our world. Check out their unique frameworks and methods to help you transform and grow your business. Now is the time to build a bridge from what you want in life to include what the world needs. You can do well in business and do good, and together we can make a meaningful difference. Find out more at coachesbusinessschool.com. Hey there, and welcome back to the Sacred Change Makers podcast. Our guest on the podcast today is Simon T. Bailey. Success Magazine calls him one of the top 25 people that will help you reach your business and life goals. He's a best-selling author and a Hall of Fame keynote speaker. Washington Speakers Bureau recognized Simon as one of the 12 business speakers who embolden audiences to think big and lead with purpose. Now, I am thrilled to finally share his brilliance with you because Simon is one of my dearest friends. We've known each other now for over a decade and I know his deep commitment to his own growth path, to show up to life in just the best way that he can, to keep getting better each day and to ultimately be in true service of others as a thought leader and a change maker. So let me tell you a little bit more about him. He was the first black American sales director for the Disney Institute based at Walt Disney World Resort in Orlando. Now, since leaving Disney, he has served 2,100 organizations in 50 countries by providing practical leadership strategies to accelerate results. His three LinkedIn learning courses have been viewed by a quarter of a million people in a hundred different countries around the world. Simon is a certified Caritas executive coach that leads with heart-centered intelligence. He's also a best-selling author, having written 10 books, <laughs> and he has one of the 100 most read motivational and successful blogs. His latest book is Ignite the Power of Women in Your Life, a guide for men, and the link is in the show notes if you're interested. His greatest joy is spending time with his wife, their four children, and their new baby granddaughter. He roots for the Buffalo Bills, collects rare postage stamps, loves gospel concerts, and enjoys watching reruns of Coming to America and James Bond movies. Now, in today's conversation, you're going to hear Simon talk about resilience in his own life his personal breakthroughs and stories which act as metaphors for all of us in our own lives. And let me tell you, Simon is an incredible storyteller, probably the best storyteller that I know, with an incredible laugh which will just make your heart sing. Now, we also talk about leadership in today's modern world and what is truly important for leaders today. As you will hear, the conversation literally flowed between us, and I think you'll learn a lot from Simon's insights, not to mention his trip to Bhutan. And I don't want to give anything away there, but let me just tell you, it was a, a challenge for him. It was a learning journey, and it's just an incredible story. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Simon T. Bailey. Hey, Simon. Thanks for stopping by the Sacred Change Makers podcast. How are you doing, my friend? I am great, Jane. So good to be with you. 
Yeah, well, I'm really looking forward to our conversation because we've known each other now for it's got to be over a decade. Yes, for sure. <laughs> Hasn't it? And, you know, I know the value you bring to the world, Simon, so I can't wait for you to share it with our audience. Now, they've just heard your professional bio, but I'd love to kind of go beneath the surface a little bit with you and just ask you, you know, who's the real life human behind the bio? Who is he? Oh my goodness, I am flawed beyond belief. <laughs> I am perfectly imperfect, and if the truth be told, I've made more mistakes than I can count on both hands and toes. <laughs> and I'm still here. I am still here. <laughs> but I am uh, I'm the husband of Jody, the father to Daniel, Madison, Chelsea, and Ashley, and the G-pop. We have our first grandchild. Her name is <gasps> And uh, so, yeah, that's uh, that's who I am. Oh, my gosh. So tell us something about your background. You know, how has your kind of like your lifeline, how has that shaped you and formed you to who you are today? I think uh, everything that I've been through to get to this point, grew up in Buffalo, New York, third poor city. Uh, in the United States, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, and was able to leave that zip code physically and mentally, moved to Atlanta, and have been in Orlando, Florida for the last 30 years. And I believe everything that I've experienced in the last uh, 37 years have really brought me to this point to understand the way up is down. Mm. Now, what do I mean by the way up is down? What I realized for many years, I was hiding behind a title, a position, a need to be needed, a need to be liked. And what I realized is when you show up in your full humanity, it's not so much about what you are getting, it's about what you're giving. And if you are willing to not just humble yourself, but listen more than you talk, you will discover more about yourself in the context of a conversation. And because when you're listening to another human being, that human being is reflecting back to you, their story, their journey, but you're also self-discovering in that moment, like, whoa, how am I showing up? What am I sensing? What am I feeling? So I think what's really shaped me to come to this point is to totally be open uh, and and just be open to the conversation that wants to emerge. Now, as you say that, I can just feel myself relaxing into this conversation with you <laughs> because it it's kind of interesting, isn't it? Very often when I get guests on the podcast, what I get is the persona. And it takes me some time to kind of get beneath the surface with them. But you've gone straight there, my friend. <laughs> and you're talking about things there that in some ways you make it sound so very easy, right? To show up whole, right? That's what you said. And I was like, wow, I think it's going to take me a lifetime to really figure out like what whole even means to me, because the cultures we live in, you know, the people that we love, they do shape us in unexpected ways, I think sometimes, but it sounds like you're getting very intentional about who you're being in the world 
and also who you're becoming. So tell us a little bit more about that. Oh my goodness. I think after <laughs> you've been through what I have been through every day on top of the ground, and it's just going to sound like a cliche, is really a good day because consider the alternative, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, I think for me, I've come to a place where I've come home to myself. Uh, that's something that I've learned from you over this last decade of our friendship. And in coming home to myself, I've learned how to forgive myself, which invited me to forgive my father, which mm -hmm. invited me to forgive my mother. And when I recognized I wasn't going to really have any relationships of any meaningfulness until I dealt with my unfinished business. So let's let's talk about my dad. My mm -hmm. dad had never told me that he loved me. So when I confronted him to say, you never loved me, he said, I put food on the table, clothes on your back, a roof over your head. That was my expression of love. But my love language from my father was to hear his affirmation and validation. And because for many years he didn't say it, I externally went after jobs and titles and different things, looking for that void and that hole in my soul to be filled. And I just need to hear my dad say it. So literally on his deathbed, um, my mom called me and I had to fly up to Buffalo, New York, and I walked to the hospital room and he's in a coma-like state. And she says, Reginald, Reginald, my father's name is Reginald, Simon's here. And Jane, my dad wakes up and he says, I just want to let you know, I love you and I believe in you. And Jane, for me, everything shifted because for the first time I felt seen by my dad, you know, Dr. Maria Music, who mm -hmm. is a clinical psychiatrist at the University of Michigan says, human beings need to be seen, valued and understood. And when my father saw me that day, it just like, boom, hit me, right? And it's just what I needed. But here's the ripple effect. Because I have three brothers, we had never really said, you know, we loved each other. But the moment dad said it, it released something in all of us. And when the next time we were on the phone together with each other, we said, hey, man, I love you. I love you. I love you. And a few days later, my, my father did pass away. But at least I wasn't held hostage by him going to the grave and me not knowing was I loved by him. Oh, that is just so beautiful. I had goosebumps when you were talking there. And it's really interesting because it reminds me of, uh, there's a book that I'm reading right now, and it's actually called The Grace in Dying. And it sounds like it's a book about death, and it kind of is, but it's also a book about consciousness. And it speaks to the fact that as we get into our final weeks of life and, and like our death is looming, we start to break down our persona of who we think we should be as the elevation in consciousness starts for the spirit leaving the body. And it talks about like getting rid of resistance and at some point, we, we're just love, that's what we are. And I heard that in your story with your father, that after a lifetime of 
you know, not being able to express fully how he felt or expressing it through, you know, just taking care of you. There he was, and he was actually able to say, what a gift, Simon. I mean, truly, what a gift. And the benefactors of my father saying that he loved me is not only yeah. my brothers, but my children. Yes. Now I can say I love you with not yeah. a lump in my throat. My, I'm, you know, I'm not a clog. And I'm like, well, do I right. say this? How does this feel? I just say it effortlessly because God forbid if I go on the other side and left them wondering what did dad really think of me? So, yeah, so glad my father did it. Yeah. It's funny, you know, the older I get, the more I think that even the work that we do is all about love. And I know we've talked about this in the yes. past. Yes. Um, I know we have. And, you know, and I, and I, I often think about, you know, when, when I'm on stage and particularly for you, because you're on stage a lot more than I am, um, this idea of how you create uh connection with the audience how you and to me it feels like we create energy fields mm -hmm. like in our work that we allow and invite people into and I know that's something that you're aware of as well so I mean is this something now that you're intentional about in terms of your beingness in the world absolutely what I realized for many years I was an annoying echo instead of an original voice. And as an annoying echo with a very performance-driven personality, I would show up to perform and I would communicate, but I didn't connect. Mm -hmm. And when I made the shift within myself, what I recognized, it, was the, it wasn't the doing of the work, it was the being of the work. And when I begin to lean into the being, what I realize in, in my prayer, uh, whenever I go before any audience, is I want God to speak through me like he painted the Sistine Chapel through Michelangelo. Mm -hmm. and, and that prayer for me is very deep because what I'm saying is I am in this room to hug people with my words. And if something that I will say will land, then I have done what I was supposed to be about, but it wasn't in the doing. It was unscripted flow in the moment. So I'll give you an example. I was in Nashville, Tennessee a few months ago speaking at an event. And I just went into an unscripted flow, Jane, where I'm just like, yeah. I kind of knew where I needed to be, but I just sensed that I was being pulled in another direction. And I just simply said, my purpose in front of 3,500 uh, entrepreneurs from all over the world, I said, my purpose is to hug you with my words. And I hope that something that I've said today is, is encouragement because encouragement is oxygen for the soul. And then blah, 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 blah. So I'm now standing on the step and repeat outside the ballroom, got to take pictures with everyone. And a guy comes up to me bawling, Jane, bawling. Oh. And there are probably like a hundred people deep in the line. And he says to me, I've just been diagnosed with a disease. I have not told my family about it, but today you gave me permission to face what I'm dealing with. And he and I just kind of turned and he was sobbing and I was sobbing. I mean, we were jacked up, right? But it was okay because yeah. it was that moment. 
a lady right after him came up. Uh, she was right after him. She said, I almost didn't come down this morning um, because I was going to commit suicide. Suicide, Jane. Mm -hmm. And she said, I heard you and I want to live. I do not want to die. And she and I just kind of turned balling. And what I recognize, it's not in the doing, it's mm -hmm. in the being human. We are not human doings, we are human beings. So when we understand that, we serve the moment, less of me, more of what needs to emerge in, in that instance. Yeah. That reminds me of one of my favorite quotes from David Hawkins, which is a quote that's very alive for me at the moment and something that I'm kind of leaning into in my own life, which is you don't change the world by what you say and do. You change the world by who you become. And that feels really alive. <laughs> it really does. And, and that's what I'm hearing you speak to. Because, of course, we can't, like inspire change in areas that we know nothing about we have to live the path walk the path first so that we can then help others to to kind of come along with us on their own paths yes. so i just love what you've described there but i'm going to take us to our title today which is you know life is tough but so are you right and I just love this title, especially for these times right now. But what does our title mean for you personally, Simon? When I realized that resilience is this ability to bounce forward, and you've talked about resilience, you're, you're the expert, but I'll <laughs> just give you a short story. Yeah, do. So I'm in Solana Beach a couple of years ago, uh, three years to be exact. And I'm walking on the beach and I've always wanted to learn how to surf, but I don't know how to swim. So it would probably start with, <laughs> I need to learn how to swim before I surf, right? <laughs> this is when you insert bless his heart, right? So I see some surfers coming down to the beach and I run over to them. I said, what's the key to being a good surfer? And they said, when you're out on the board and you stand up and a wave hits you, you got to get back on the board right away and you got to pop up and catch the next wave. <laughs> and Jane, when they said it, I was like, ding, 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 that's <laughs> it. So when I say life is tough, but so are you, it's when the waves of disappointment and challenge and negativity and the deal didn't go through or the business merger fell apart or the relationship is on the fringe. It's the ability to pop back up and say, I am going to catch the next wave. I'm not going to take it lying down. I'm going to make it happen. <laughs> so for me, life is tough is you develop this nerve, this ability to say, I'll give just a little bit more. I'll, I'll try harder tomorrow. And I'm going to learn through this. That's what I mean. Life is tough, but so are you. <laughs> and I love that, you know, because in many ways, you're you're kind of helping to remind us, like kind of to remember that 
it kind of doesn't matter really. And I don't mean this in a literal sense, but whatever happens to us happens to us. It is what is. But we've always got this choice, this space. If we if we take a moment to just pause, we've got this kind of and I think of it like a relational space to choose how we're going to be in relationship with whatever's just happened to us. And that's what I'm hearing you say here is that like, you know, yeah, tough things can happen to us and they will. I mean, it's almost guaranteed in modern life today that we're all going to be knocked down by the waves. But what we do when we get knocked down, I think that's the important message you're bringing here. And, you know, and I see you model this so incredibly well for people. Um, And I also see in you, Simon, this, um, it's like a a quest for almost like getting better every day, just like let's one degree, right? This consistent, let me read something. Because whenever we meet, it's always like we share resources with each other. And you're, it's like you have this voracious appetite for your own personal growth, which I think really, again, is a, is an incredible model for people that know you. But tell us a bit about that, because, you know, we're often in our in, in our uh, communities, uh, the change making communities, when we talk about change and being in service of others, we don't always speak to the fact that we kind of need to go first. And I think you're an incredible example of that. So I've been on a journey, <laughs> a long <laughs> journey. <laughs> One of the uh, experiences I had is not too long ago, a friend of mine called and said, hey, why don't you go on a hike uh, with us to Bhutan? And the first (laughs) thing I say to him, I didn't say this out loud, but in my mind, I was like, black folk don't hike. Are you crazy? (laughs) (laughs) But I didn't say it. I thought it. (laughs) So sure enough, after a 30-hour flight from Orlando (laughs) to New York to Bhutan via Bangkok and Calcutta, India, there I am with 24 strangers for the next 14 days, and we're going to hike up to this monastery. And I've never been hiking before. Jane, I thought my heart was going to jump out of my chest. (laughs) I saw Jesus, Muhammad, Buddha all at the same time. About halfway up, I'm like, I am done. I This is crazy. And I took a picture on my iPhone of the group. They were so far ahead, I couldn't make out who exactly was in the group. It was sad, right? And just when I was about to give up and quit, because of the story I was telling mm. myself, I said to Poob, spelled P-H-U-B, my guide, uh, and Poob said, first of all, let me take the backpack that I was carrying because it made the journey even harder. And in that backpack, I was carrying everything that was personal to me. I didn't want to leave it in the hotel. And he took my backpack and I said, how far are we away from the monastery? And he said, just a little bit more. And Jane, two and a half hours later, (laughs) I don't know what trickery he was up to, just a little bit more. I made it to the monastery, but to that point, I just needed to put one foot Mm. in front of the other. And what I recognize, Jane, I've had some Red Sea moments Mm. where it was probably easier to turn around, but there was no point of return. I had come so far and I just said, you know what? I'm going to love 
where I'm at right now, I'm going to learn from this experience and I'm just going to give a little bit more and we'll see what happens. Well, as you can imagine, showing up in that moment creates the momentum and the momentum creates the monumental results to keep moving forward. So I come back to that Bhutan experience because it was spiritual for me. I'd, it was totally serendipitous. I was not expecting this. <laughs> but now it's become a marker for me that can I can I give a little bit more? And yeah. what's on the other side of the yes in a no world? Right. And it seems to me that's just such a great metaphor for life and leadership today. Now, I know you work with some of the world's greatest leaders, and I know that you, you know, you're very passionate about inspiring, not just change and transformation, but in the context of leadership as well. So I want to kind of get you to kind of pull out the threads of what you learned there. And, you know, what what does that have to do with like leadership from your perspective? Yeah, your work. It takes me back to uh, an interview that I did with Harry Kramer. He's a clinical professor of leadership at the Kellogg School. And I asked him in 40 years, former chairman and CEO of Baxter Healthcare, Harry, what is it that you know to be true? And he said, Simon, every leader has to have the ability to self-reflect. Mm -hmm. And I said, tell me more. And he says, when you understand that life is tough and you self-reflect, you ask yourself three questions. Number one, what did I learn today? Question number two, what difference did I make today? And then question number three, what am I going to do tomorrow to be better than I was today? Right. And it's the compounded commitment and the compound interest to self-reflect that moves a person forward and, and uh, takes their leadership to the next level because you are always self-aware and you have the ability to read the room because you started with the room within yourself, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the first thing. And when I had that epiphany, for me, I started writing in my journal. So in writing in my journal, I could say, okay, this is how I showed up today. But I also sought feedback from those who I was in conversation with to say, did you really under, uh, understand what I was saying, what I was conveying? And I'm getting that reflective feedback that invites me, oh, I missed it. I could have said that differently. I could have followed through on this. Oh, what if I would have waited a little bit more? So self-reflection. That is something I want to invite all of us to just think about as a micro practice. Mm. It's really interesting because, as you know, I, I am bringing more of the soul in my work into leadership and business. And that sounds like what you're talking about, because, of course, on the spiritual path, you know, many of, you know, the major religions in the world speak about this ability to witness ourselves in life, in our work, and and get more intentional about how and who we're becoming. So I love that you're speaking to this, because in the old world of leadership, this was like the soft skills that were a little bit like, 
woo woo and we're not going to do that because we're just going to stay over here in the logic but today I feel it's very different in terms of you know all the uncertainties the complexities the challenges that leaders are facing today what you're speaking to here is absolutely it's not even a nice to have it's kind of mission critical <laughs> for leaders I would say today so what's your sense of you know in today's world how would you describe what makes a great leader I think number one deeper communication number mm -hmm. two intentional collaboration number three executive well-being so let me drop a pen in executive well-being just for a moment. In order for a leader to soar to the top of any organization, and I just use that as a, a reference loosely, it is not about getting to the top. It is about standing in the circle from a place of well-being and wholeness and kindness to make sure everyone in that circle is growing and becoming the best version of themselves because of you. So leadership is caught and leadership is taught. So it's not about vertical ascension, it's about horizontal connection. Mm -hmm. And that starts with executive well-being. How am I doing? When I talk about deeper communication, it's not just enough to know the KPIs and all of the metrics. Yes, those things are important. It keeps the board happy, stakeholders, shareholders happy. It is about understanding when I have that deeper communication, I release the need to be right. And I become open to what wants to emerge in the moment that I can't forecast, that I can't uh, contrive because brilliance is all around you. So when I have that deeper communication, I'm listening between the sentences. I'm listening for what is not said. And I'm tapping into my intuitive intelligence where I come to a place where I don't know what I don't know. But I'm, and, and I'm aware enough to know I don't know and I'm not going to try to fill in the blanks or fill the <laughs> air, right? Because the deeper communication is how do I understand the same letters that spell the word listen, spell the word silent. Oh. Mm. When I'm in that moment of silence, that's when we move to intentional collaboration. And intentional collaboration is how do I draw out of you what's in you. See, the word education comes from a word called educar. Educar means to draw out. I draw out of you what's in you because, uh, let me say it to you a different way, Jane, and, and, and I'll say this about you. Um, you are a deep well. And so when we have intentional collaboration, the well that you drink from is the well that you draw from and eventually it's the well that you become so intentional collaboration i am drawing from your deep well of experiences and know-how and it's in that intentionality where we are moving from me to we in order to be i love that simon you always have these really like 
catchy phrases that really help people remember your messages. And I just love that. And what I'm also hearing here is something that I think has been growing in awareness for leaders over perhaps the last 10 years, which is that I'm hearing you speak to leadership as though ultimately what we're talking about here is it's relational, right? And that fascinates me because, you know, very often when I'm speaking to a, a leader, particularly if they're a senior executive in an organization, the first things they talk about are things like, you know, uh, the bottom line, the profitability, the revenue, the growth. It's It's all these like what I think of as the it things that leaders are measured against, right? Which, you know, we all know how important that is. And I'm not negating that. But what you're speaking to here is that, and I'm going to make an assumption and ask you what you think, which is that those things that leaders think are so incredibly important because they're being measured on that performance can only be achieved through what you're talking about here, the relational field. Is that true? Absolutely. That you spot on, you hit the nail on the head, because here's the deal. When I relate to the cargo in your ship, we have a relationship. And wherever you are going on the ocean of life, you carry that experience that we have. We carry that with us. So point in case, when the alarm clock goes off on Monday morning and a person has to wake up, do they think, I can't wait to go and work with the leader today because they challenge me to be a better person. They see me, they get me, they empathize, but they're they're also, they're tough. They push me a little bit, but I become better in the journey. Or when the alarm clock goes off, oh my goodness, I can't stand another mm -hmm. day to work with this person and then think about what do they say to their loved ones about the experience that they have with yeah. you. So when we truly come to a relationship. I relate to you, not from what I can get from you, but who we become together when we work. And that brings me right back to where we began in a way that if it's about relationships that make us successful as leaders, if it's that relational field and getting intention there, that of course is where we invite in the love and the love flows, the kindness that you're also talking about, the compassion, some of these soft skills that we kind of boxed away in the 1980s and put them on a shelf somewhere in leadership and said oh no that's not what leadership is about it's about this I feel like we're pulling it back down now and going actually we've lost something here we've lost like a uh, an influence a, a texture even maybe an authority that is given to leaders from others right and we've thought we could just command it for ourselves. Of course, that's not worked. That model hasn't worked. So now we're getting this growing realization. And you you put it so well when you said about wholeness, where we are the yin and the yang internally. We are the masculine and the feminine. And we need to show all of that through our leadership. Leadership is not about being right. <laughs> it's about being open to becoming a better version of yourself. A vulnerable leader is a helpful leader. Mm. A helpful leader is a 
hopeful leader. But let's flip it, Jane. A hopeless leader is a helpless leader because they are closed up. They've got the game face mm. on and it's all the po political jockeying and all of these different things. And you know what? People are sick and tired of it. They have mm. assessed their life over the last few years. And they're like, that is a bridge to nowhere. If I've got one life to live, like the soap opera says, <laughs> I'm going to make it count. And it's not going to be with you. <laughs> so, so here's the deal. There's a lot of people that are married to the job, but they are on Indeed.com Say, is this indeed the moment when I bounce? <laughs> <laughs> right. And you're speaking to something really important here, which is we all know that most people leave an organization because they don't like the leader that is is managing them. Yeah. Right. And it's a huge issue in, in corporate America right now. So it Gallup makes just released Gallup just released research change just yesterday, to your point, mm. saying that in order to get more engagement and higher productivity, give people better managers. Yeah. That's it. That's what the research says, better yeah. managers. Yeah. Not more AI managers, <laughs> better human managers. Yes, yes, a human manager for sure. <laughs> you know, and I, I mean, I just laughingly there brought in AI, but this is going to be a huge threat to the workforce in the next decade. We know this. Um, and uh, for me, it's it's I'm, whilst I'm talking and working with my clients that are leaders, it's almost bringing the humanity back because that's what differentiates us from the AI in many ways. You know, the emotional texture, the ability to be kind, all of these things, at least today, AI can't do. But what's your sense of this? You know, because there's a lot of doom mongering through the media online. I tend to think there's two sides to the coin, but I'd love to hear what you think about that. I am so glad AI is here. I think AI is the gift that will keep on giving because here's mm -hmm. what it's doing. It's forcing us to have these conversations right. and to recognize as a human being, we have the agency within ourselves to supersede anything that AI can do. Yes, AI is nothing but data that is put into it that's it that's it it's nothing but data and yes it gets smarter and faster and quicker but ai can't empathize mm -hmm. ai can't be creative ai can't love and have that emotional feeling of how how do we move forward mm -hmm. so one of the things that i'm doubling down on i believe every organization needs to understand that the magic is in middle management if you can get middle management on board, uh, I was talking with an expert the other day, a friend of mine is um, actually getting her PhD in AI, doing her dissertation, done has done a deep dive. And she said to me, she said, Simon, there will be hundreds of millions of jobs eliminated, but there will also be hundreds of millions of jobs created for implementers and enhancers who are human beings, and we don't know what those jobs are yet, but if we can help middle managers begin to invite people to think creative, go the extra step, they will be fine in the world of AI. Yeah, yeah, and that makes so much sense to me, it does. And, um, and I love that you're speaking to this, and that's why I feel leadership today is ultimately relational. 
right? Because that's what we need to really kind of take care of and and craft and and kind of, in a way, hold that. I I feel that that's something we should hold dear in our hearts as as uh, leaders moving forward. So. Tell me about what's alive for you at the moment, because I know you're, you know, you're not just a speaker, you're not just a thought leader, Simon, you're also a change maker in our world. And I know how important that is to you. So tell me a little bit about what's alive for you in that space. As a change maker, and thank you so much for just uh, having me on this amazing podcast. As a change maker, what I am bringing to the world and will until I take my last breath are just two letters, two simple letters. These are the most important letters in the alphabet. And if if your listeners get these two letters, they will be more than okay in a world of Alexa, AI, automation. And those two letters is B and U. Brilliant you. Just be you. And when you show up, in your awesomeness and what you are called to do, what you will discover when you go to a job, that's employment. But when you go to work, that's deployment. And how will brilliant you be deployed into the earth to shape where the future is going? So I just want to have a deeper conversation and a relational conversation with souls to say, are you ready to be you? Because the moment you say yes to being you, you will find your spark. When you find your spark, you find your voice. When you find your voice, you find your joy. When you find your joy, you find your freedom because you decided to be you. Mm. Now, if somebody's listening and they're like, okay, yes, Simon, I'm ready. Like, how did they get started on that? Because I know in my own experience, when I talk to people and say very simple questions like, what do you want? Never mind, who are you? <laughs> right? Because they these are like, we can look at like, who am I? Like, I can hold that question for myself and I can answer it very differently, like right now, to what I might answer it like on Monday this week or maybe tomorrow. It's kind of a, I feel like I have a fluid identity now at this stage in my life. So if somebody's listening and they're like, yeah, I want to find that, I want to know who I am. Like, how did I even begin that process, Simon? (laughs) So Jane, in, in working with you, Uh, and you influencing me in the best way possible as my executive coach, three questions come up for me that I have learned uh, in my own way in working with you. Question number one, what do you want for you? And so when you ask that question, you're honoring, what do you want for you? Because what you want, wants you, right? So that's the first question. The second question is, what are you feeling? And, and honor that. 20 years ago, people were like, you can't talk about feelings. Oh, you need to talk about feelings, <laughs> like for real, for real, right? So what are you feeling? And honor that. But then the third question, which is probably the most important question, what step are you willing to take to identify and pursue what you want? Just one micro step. And what we're inviting people, Jane, to do in that moment 
is to grab hold to the steering wheel of the future and drive into the future instead of being driven by the backseat passengers of fear, stress, anxiety, and worry. So it's those three questions. Mm -hmm. What do you want for you? What are you feeling? And what step are you willing to take for you? I love that. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things we've talked about before, and it's certainly a conversation that's alive in the Sacred Changemakers audience is, is like, what is our work in service of? You know, because it's, I don't, I think business can sometimes be a hard kind of road to travel on your own. It certainly feels like the road less traveled sometimes. Um, and tethering business to like a, a vision or something bigger than just you and the potentially the money you'll make or even the impact you'll make. So I'd love to get us get you to share with our audience like what is it for you what is your work in service of my work is to help the least the last the lost the often forgotten to give them a hand up instead of a hand out because when you help the least the last the lost here's what the research says according to emory university when you help someone else, the reward centers in our brain begin to light up almost as if we are on the receiving end of the person who we've just helped with no strings attached. And Emory University calls it the helper's high. So when I am intentionally choosing to serve someone who can do nothing for me, it is in that beingness that we become healing presence. I just want that to sink in for a moment. We become healing presence. They are healing, but we are also healing and coming to that wholeness that you mentioned a moment ago because I'm helping somebody and it doesn't have to appear on social media. I don't need a like, a comment, a reshare. I am doing this in a stealth way because of who I become in the process, a better human being. Oh, lovely. Just going to soak that in for a moment because that was quite profound what you said there. Yeah, and I hope our listeners heard you because I just want to underline that. It's not just what we do in our professional lives. It's who we're being in every moment that counts. Simon, my gosh, just one final question for you. If there's something that you would like to share with our audience, you know, it might be some parting words of wisdom. It might be something that we haven't covered that you want them to know. What might it be? There's someone that's listening to us right now. And I want you to know that I love you and I believe in you. And there's not a darn thing you can do about it. You're, you're watching this on your phone, on your tablet, our paths may never cross, but here's what you need to know. You are loved and you are appreciated and you matter. You are enough. And I'm so glad that, Jane, you would give me this opportunity to hug someone with my words. Oh, thank you, Simon. 
So powerful as always, and such a joy to be in relationship and conversation with you. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, my friend. I just know all of our listeners will have felt inspired by the message you've shared today, learned so much from you, and I just truly love you. So thank you. Okay, guys, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for listening in. Now, before we go, I want to remind you that all of the resources and links for our guests are in the show notes at sacredchangemakers.com. A big thank you to the members of the Sacred Changemakers Inner Circle, who are our podcast sponsors and our extended community, who are helping us make a global impact aligned with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, all visible on our website. And if you're looking for more soul in your life and business, if you have a sense that you have a calling, maybe you're here to make a bigger impact or simply connect with others on your change-making journey. If our episode resonated with you today, I hope you'll consider joining us. Again, you can find out more at sacredchangemakers.com. So for now, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your intentions and efforts to make our world a better place. Until next time. Lots of love.